You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. Amen. Good morning. Today's a little bit of a different morning for us. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper and taking part in communion, and so we're gonna do that towards the end of the service and then the worship team's gonna come back and lead us and we're gonna get a chance to finish the day praising and, and thanking God for all that he has done for us. And I hope, that I don't know how you made it to church this morning, my hope and prayer is that for the next little window of time, you could allow your mind to slow down a little bit. You could, that to-do list, you could kind of begin to just put off to the side for a moment and hopefully just be present in what God is doing it's interesting, you know, this last week, so I have a confession to make. I changed the title of my message like 10 times. And we don't coordinate the message with worship um, usually, but I started as Firm Foundation was the title of my message. And then I changed it to A Loud Voice from Heaven. And then I just changed it to Communion Sunday message. And then in the pre-service meeting this morning, I found out that the song leading into the message was gonna be Firm Foundation. So guess what? The title of my message today is Firm Foundation. Um, I just thought, you know, it's cool to see how the Lord works those things out sometimes. I wanna start this morning off by just having you think a little bit about all the things that maybe have happened to you in your life. Certainly there's a lot of things that you've done, things that you've done well, things that you've not done well, but I'm gonna think about the things that have happened to you in your life, because there's a lot of things that we can't control, things that are outside of our purview, and certainly in my life, I'm 42, even though I feel like I'm 65 sometimes, which is not a great sign being 42, by the way, but I, I've had a lot of life experience. I've had a lot of things happen to me. I, I've been in accidents, some pretty bad ones. I have uh, been sued before. We were living in Nicaragua and had a, a person sue me over there. We were living overseas. And, that, and her, her boyfriend actually called me several times and threatened me and, and uh, went through that process, ended up, ended up winning. And then I got a chance to meet with this individual afterwards to just say, listen, I forgive you, and I know that you came, you came after me, but I forgive you, and I actually mended a relationship of someone who actively came against me. I, it's not a fun feeling. I've been threatened. I have had people just genuinely hate me. I have been sexually abused. I've been through a lot of, I, I, I've been unbelievably lonely. I, one of the, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of life experience. A lot of things have happened to me, but in all the things that have happened to me, I have to tell you something that, that we and how we navigate the world of things that happen to us, and even not just the things that happen to us, but even the things that we do to ourselves. Because I look back at my life and there's all kinds of stuff and ways in which I just, man, mess things up massively. And in all of those areas, one of the things that I have learned is this, is that the things that both happen to me and even the things that I can do to kind of derail the direction of where my, my life should go, I have I found that what I believe massively impacts, massively impacts where I stand and how secure that is. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew, he says this, build your life on the rock, which is exactly where that song came from. And if you build your life on the rock, when the rains come and the winds blow because things happen to you that you can't control, then if you are planted in a firm place, then you're gonna be okay. And, and so I wanna start us off with just this thought, ready? And it's simply this. We can choose where we build our life. You maybe can't pick the things that happen to you 
and that's outside of your purview, but certainly you have the ability to choose where you actually go to to build your life. It's what Jesus said, build your life on the rock. And yes, some of you might have been born in horrific, dangerous, difficult circumstances. And in recovery from that, you're figuring out, well, where do I belong and where do I stand? And I'm here to tell you something. What you believe is gonna determine where you build your life. And I wanna say it even differently, ready? And I'm, because obviously I'm, I'm gearing that all of us will build our life on Jesus. You will never accidentally build your life in the right place. And a lot of you guys, what, what tends to happen is this, is that you build your life where you think is best and then you ask God to bless it. But where you think is best sometimes is down by the sand and when the winds come and the rains blow and the sand erodes away, you're left standing there being like, well, where were you? And God said, I didn't tell you to be there in the first place. And so you will never accidentally build your life in the right place. It doesn't happen. Because God doesn't want people just wandering through. He actually wants people to walk in relationship with him. And so there's a certain level of intentionality that Jesus says, and he makes it clear, build your life. And so I have two verses that we're gonna focus in on today for this communion message. And there's two beautiful verses, and I think these are two verses that all of us in this room can build our life on. You can take your life and you can actually build it on God's word. You can take your life and build it on scripture. And when you do, it's, it's so transformative. And these two scriptures have been massively huge for me. When my, my wife and I, we were living in Managua, Nicaragua, where it's Central America, by the way, where two of our three kids were born. Um, as you know, when I get a chance to preach, uh, a lot of my illustrations, like 98% of them revolve around food. And that's, I love food. And so, anyway, in Nicaragua, we're there. It's a city of about a million and a half people. It's the third hottest capital city in the world. And dirt roads in a lot of places. And we would go in and venture into neighborhoods. And someone had told me about this pizza restaurant that was owned by these Argentinians who had opened it up there, right there in the capital city. And so I was like, well, I wanna find it. And they're like, well, it's kind of hard to find. I said, like, okay, that's great. And it just so happened to be that one of the people we were working with lived really close to where this was, which is the only reason I found out where it was. Because this restaurant literally is off a dirt road. You could drive by it over and over again. There's just a wall on the outside and you could drive by it again and again and you would miss it all the time. And so he's like, dude, they have incredible pizza and not just incredible pizza, it's this beautiful restaurant that overlooks this crater lake which is, uh, uh, used to be a volcano now dormant that holds a lake and it's just full of greenery and it's beautiful and the pizza's delicious but you can miss it if you don't know exactly where it's at. And so of course, went there, found it, it's unbelievably beautiful. I'm gonna show you a picture. This is a picture of the place and in the middle of a city of a million and a half people, and now right outside of this restaurant is a dirt road, and you could miss it over and over and over again. And the reason I bring this up is, a lot of times when we open up the Bible or we read scripture, we have so many different things in our mind, we're always in a hurry. And then sometimes we open the Bible, we go to Leviticus, and there's a whole bunch of weird stuff in there sometimes. Or we go to the begats, and we try and be spiritual, we're like, okay God, I'm gonna read the begats. Because God, I love you, so-and-so begat so-and-so. You care less about it. But what I found is we're often in our minds just going so fast that we're just in a hurry. And our interest, it's not just an attention span thing, it's an interest thing. We can bypass these unbelievable, beautiful moments if we're in a hurry. Just like missing out on this restaurant. 
unfortunately, was able to experience it. And then we said, when teams came down to visit us in Managua, we would take them to this restaurant and they absolutely loved it. It's a beautiful spot, beautiful space, beautiful pizza. We can do the same with scripture though. We can be in such a hurry with our lives. And what I wanna do is I wanna pause. And I wanna take you to two passages of scripture and I want you to sit with them for a second. Because you can actually build your life on this. It can actually change how you interact in your world, the things that you care about, how you interact with your spouse, how you interact with your kids, how you interact with your job. It can change, really, and here's a key one. It can change how you see yourself. So I hope that you see this. So what we're gonna do is go to Revelation chapter 12. Now, you're like, okay, end of times. Is this like the fourth horseman of the apocalypse? There's a lot of incredible things in Revelation. And in Revelation 12, instead of looking forward, it actually looks back. It was, has already happened. And in Revelation 12, and we're reading from the NIV in verses 10 and 11, there's these two verses that I find to be absolutely beautiful and it's a summation of what God has done for us. And it's just absolutely undeniably, in my opinion, just spectacular. And I want us to pause and just allow ourselves to see what the Lord does. In verse 10 of Revelation 12, it says this, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. That's where the title of my message was gonna come from. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. This is not just some small declaration. This is like the kind of declaration that can shake the ground underneath of us. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. All of us have an accuser. And sometimes our accuser gets to us. Sometimes, and by the way, the most, the, the most powerful way the, the accuser does it in our lives is to lie to us. And then we begin to believe the lie, which is why God's power, or God's truth sets us free instead of God's power. So the accuser lies to us, and then we begin to believe in the lies. And I want you to see this. I find this just interesting, that the enemy, the accuser doesn't want to be in God's presence, but do you know where he is? He's in God's presence. That's how much he hates you. He's willing to be in God's presence to try and accuse all of us in this room. He hates us. And the reason he hates us is because we're made in the image of God, and he can't destroy God, so instead he wants to destroy what God cares about, which is you. And so in God's presence, he says, so and so. Did you see what she did? Did you see what he did? And it's just incessant, and it's over and over again. And, and look at how they failed God, and look at how they did this. Look at how they didn't say the right thing in the right time. Look at how they treated their son, when instead of doing it in love, it was out of anger. And, look, and you just name the accusations, and all of us look at it, we're like, yeah, no, that's probably me. But there's this tinge of like hopelessness to it. And yet when we see in Revelation, it says this, he has been thrown down, destroyed unquestionably. And yet a lot of us, I would say if we're probably honest, came into church this morning feeling accused sometimes. Feeling a little bit like, well, if this thing is supposed to be a triumphant thing, how come I feel the opposite of triumphant? Well, it's because the accuser is still out there seeking whom, like a roaring lion, the Bible says, whom he may devour. And he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the Bible also says this, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I just, 
There's some beautiful stuff here. So how? And I want you to see this. He accuses us day and night has been hurled down. And then verse 11. And then they, these are the ones who have been accused, triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How? How did they overcome the accuser? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How do we overcome? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So just two very simple points and then we're gonna get a chance to celebrate and partake of the Lord's communion. The first is this, and I'm gonna have to explain this one because I just put a lot of words in here, but it's this, it's the blood. This is how we overcome. Ready, here's some words. Forgiven, redeemed, righteous, whole, free, unmerited. When I was in high school, we took a mission trip to Peru, South America. We were living in Virginia, one of the few times that I was living in the States as a young man, as a teenager. And in order to raise money for the mission trip, someone came up with the brilliant idea in Northern Virginia to go door to door and ask people to do like an exchange. Hey, we have this, can we exchange this for something else that you might wanna give us? That might be, we called it bigger and better. And then eventually, after doing that for a while, we would take all the bigger and better things that we got from knocking door to door and then sell those things to try and raise money. Who remembers a story in the early 2000s of a guy who literally took a paperclip? Anyone remember this? Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, especially the young ones in this room, because I forget, young ones don't know. A guy in the early 2000s took a red, this is just a regular paperclip, took a red paperclip and did that very thing and exchanged it all the way up and after 14 exchanges, this Canadian guy ended up getting a house completely for free with a paperclip. It's absolutely unbelievable. And so, I remember in high school, I think I walked out with, with my, big, my big item when I was done was skis. They were like 30 years old. <laughs> I think I got like, anyway, it, was, it wasn't a house. This exchange of something lesser for something more. And today, by the way, if you're not a Christian and you're with us today, I can't tell you how honored we are that you're with us. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe that, that if you're even exploring that somewhere along the way, you've heard the story of how Jesus died on a cross and the reason he died on a cross was to pay for our sins. And the gospel says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then on the third day, he didn't stay dead, he resurrected from the dead. Why? To give any person who asks new life. And this gospel message has impacted many of us in this room, has transformed us. So how do we overcome the accusations that come against us? By the blood of the lamb. And the reason I told you the story about the exchange is because do you know what it ultimately is? We take our sins and we exchange those for God's forgiveness. It's an uneven trade. In fact, it's so uneven that everything that we give to God is somehow broken and less than, and somehow it's tainted by the world and it's tainted by our own selfishness and thoughts that every time we take something of ours and we give it to God, you know what God gives back? Something so much more. And so when we look at the blood of the lamb, it's this exchange of a God. Let me, let me put it this way. In original creation, can you imagine Genesis in which God, the 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 one who existed before time, that out of nothing created everything? Can you imagine just speaking and saying, let there be light, and light exists. 
And in creation, God speaks everything into existence and then he speaks it into order. And original creation must have been amazing. But I would argue that God's greatest masterpiece is not the original creation. I would argue that God's greatest masterpiece is actually when God redeems and turns saints from sinners. Because the word redeem means this, to buy back. And so when we look at the blood of the lamb, do you know what we're seeing? We're seeing a God who buys back all the things that have been broken, looks at you and looks at me and sees us where we are and says, my plan for your life is better than yours. And I can set you free, make you whole. I can redeem, I can transform. And guess what? It's unmerited. The word righteous, by the way, that's not self-righteousness, which self-righteousness, by the way, is pride, which is sin. Do you know what, you know what it means to be righteous before God? Righteousness means this. Let's just get this straight because this matters. Righteousness just means right standing. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're better. Anyone on a self-righteous high horse better get down because all of us are sinners. Righteousness means this, that I am covered by the blood of my God. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. I've given him my sin. He sees his son. This is an un even exchange. And by the way, all of these words don't even, it's not even the end of it. We give God our, our, our insecurity. God gives us his peace. We give God our weakness. He gives us his strength. On and on, you look at the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. It's this exchange in which there's no end to it. We give God our ness. We're hot sometimes, a hot mess. And sometimes we got it put together, but like, that's sometimes usually on social media where everything looks like it's put together. Like the perfect family picture, but you don't see bef three seconds before the family picture was taken. Smile, smile, smile. <laughs> God is a God of the heart. Whoa, voice crack. And the voice cracks. God is a God who, why would we not spend more time? Why would we not spend more time when everything that he gives us is so much more. Now think of the gift that he gave us. He gave us his blood. Who else is like this? Who else can compare, the Bible says? On the night before Jesus was betrayed and then led to death, it was the Passover, which for the Jewish people was the most important feast in all the Jewish calendar. And they had a lot of feasts, by the way. They knew how to, they knew how to feast. Jewish people know how to throw down with the feast. The Passover is the most significant one because that was the moment in which, if you read it actually in the Bible in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And in Exodus 12, God told them, take the blood of a lamb and sprinkle it over the doorpost and he was gonna send, he was gonna send an angel to come and to kill the firstborn throughout the entire land so that finally Egypt would allow the Israelites to go free. And it was the blood that covered the doorposts of the lamb that was slaughtered that would protect all of those who said, no, we are God's people. And anyone who did that over their home was protected. And then you read in Exodus 12 and you know that that night was a night of wailing and because, because there were so many who didn't have that blood covering them. So here Jesus is and he finds himself, it's on the, the night of, uh, the, the, the Passover's there and it's a celebration of how they were once slaves but then they were made free and that's when Jesus comes and do you know what he does? He grabs bread and he takes wine and he breaks the bread and he takes the wine 
and he serves it to his disciples. And they don't understand quite yet what's going on. They don't get it. They will later. They, they can't comprehend on the eve of Passover that back in Exodus 12, it was a lamb that was slain. And what they don't understand yet is that the lamb is getting ready to be slain for the sins of the world. And that any person who declares, no, I believe in Jesus, is covered by the blood of the lamb. Now, now practically, that means that every single time the enemy accuses you, do you know what you said? No, I am forgiven. Why? Not because I earned it, but because of the blood of the lamb. Every time you fall short, you know what? You know what? I, I, yes, I may have fallen short, but do you know what I know? I trust in the name of Jesus. This power has singularly changed my family history. My dad was lost, and Jesus came in and transformed him. And the entire cycle of our family was broken. Why? The blood of the lamb. My life was transformed. Why? The blood of the lamb. That means that the accuser can say all he wants. I am covered. I am surrounded by the blood, forgiven by the blood, redeemed by the blood, made new by the blood, made whole by the blood. And yet we're always in such a hurry to understand the depth. Let me put it, let me think about it this way. So, in communion, we're gonna celebrate it by taking a moment to reflect. But there's only really two commands that Jesus gave the church. He said, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, on the night of his Passover, by the way, he says, to celebrate communion is the only other mandate he gave the church. Moving into the future, stop and celebrate this. It's a mandate from God, from Jesus saying, continue this in moving forward. Out of all the monuments Jesus could have had built, he didn't build a massive monument to himself. You know what he built? He built a monument of bread that could be broken and wine that could be drank. Drunk, drank. Okay. He didn't build some awesome, like, it, these two simple things. And yet 2,000 years later, guess what we get a chance to do? We get a chance to break the bread and to drink the wine to remember a God who has covered us in the blood of the lamb. It's not an even exchange. And so much more. And so we overcome, we overcome the accuser because the accuser doesn't have power when we're covered in the blood. But we don't just overcome the accuser by the blood, we overcome the accuser by the word of their testimony. So there's two ways we can build our life. One, we can remember the blood, and we're gonna remember the blood and what God did for us as we celebrate communion. But then we get a chance to actually testify. And this is something that, uh, can we just be honest for a second? Sometimes we get scared in church world for open mic day. I certainly have seen testimonies go sideways. Anyone seen a testimony go sideways? Sister so-and-so gets up and says all kinds of crazy stuff. Can I tell you something? You have a testimony. And the Bible says you overcome the enemy not just by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of the testimony. Why? Because you might believe something, but sometimes the thing that changes how you think internally has gotta be the declaration, this is what God has done for me. I declare that God is good. I declare that God has been faithful. I declare that when I was lost, he found me. I declare that when I was tired, he came to me. I declare that when I was less than, God was for me. I, it's a declaration and testimony, and we only tend to think usually of testimonies as before we were saved. Do you know this week some of you have a testimony? 
but you're so tired because the accuser just, I want you to, I want you to, was God faithful this week? Did God ever leave you alone this week? In your moment of uncertainty, did God just abandon you or was he right there? Even if things didn't make sense. And so we have a testimony. Let me look at this quote I found. I think this is a beautiful quote, ready? If God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? So we have this God who not only died on the cross to do an uneven exchange where he takes our sin and he gives us his son and the blood of that covers us and then we get a chance to testify to his goodness. We get a testimony. This is what God has done. And I wanna encourage you this week, as you go into your Sunday night and Monday and through the rest of the days of this week, my hope is that you would be looking at your life as a testimony to the things that God is doing. There's all kinds of things that can happen to you, but I want you to look down and see where is your life built. My life is built on the rock, and when I'm, life is built on the rock and you do that intentionally, the testimony becomes this. Yes, this happened to me, but God never left me. That's why people can get a cancer diagnosis that can be devastating to so many people, but you know what those people say? Yes, I don't know what the future holds, but I know my God. That's why people can get, a, can get a, a financial situation that came out of nowhere. And then you know what happens when they're built on the rock? You know what they say? God is my provider. Because the word of their testimony says this, when I look back in my life, a God has been faithful over and over and over again. Can I just, here's, my, here's a short testimony for me this last week. And this is kind of a, just a personal one for me. But years ago I was ordained in the ministry and when I was ordained, someone, others, they were, one of the pastors was praying over me. They said to me, they said, Jeremy, in the future, God showed me that he's gonna, all these things that you have in your heart, Jeremy, you're gonna see those things come to pass. And I'm like, that's nice. That's wonderful. That felt way off in the future, right? And then I went through some stuff. And here I am, and when they did that, by the way, I was 29, that ordination, I was 29 years old, so now I'm, I was trying to do the mental math, I'm 42, whatever that is, 13 years, all right. It's 13 years ago when I got ordained. And this 13 years later, and last week I got a chance to be in Greenville. And by the way, they're having a baptism service today and communion service in which people are getting baptized. I think it's beautiful in Greenville. 300 people go to our Greenville church. And last week when I was there in Greenville, and actually even the week before when I was in Greenville in the morning and Simpsonville in the afternoon, You know what my testimony is? In the last 13 years, things have been very, very hard and challenging, but my God has been very good. And these last couple of weeks, I saw a God show up in Greenville just a couple of minutes down the road. I see a God showing up in Simpsonville. And you know what? This church is not built on a single individual. It's built on who God is. And so I'm like, I'm like, God, I am seeing your word over my life play out in front of me. So you know what my testimony is? I'm all in, God. You have shown up 
when I thought there was no way through, when we were in the theater across the street and didn't have the money to be able to get a building, you provided a building. And not just a building, you gave amazing people who were with Westside. And then God, back in, back in 2019, when we grew so much and didn't know what we were gonna do, we believed God was gonna open up a second location. You know what God did? He had another church join us. Do you know what our total mortgage payment is on both buildings? $6,500 for 60 plus thousand square feet and 15 acres in Simpsonville and Greenville. You tell me God's not good. And church that is thriving and growing and whose name is Jesus is at the center of all of it. And I will stand and testify that despite the things that I haven't understood or seen, God has shown up and it's always been better than what I would have thought. So here's the question, where are you building your life? Are you building it on the whims? Are you building it on feelings? Are you building it on emotions or what seems to look good? Because today my challenge is this, build your life on the firm foundation. Your accuser is gonna, it has been and it's gonna come, but guess what? You can leave today in victory, why? The blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. I'm gonna invite Jeff up on stage and we're gonna start moving into communion. If you have your Bibles, I'm actually gonna ask you to turn. I want you to see this passage because we're gonna take a moment and spend some time thinking about this. But if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing, I'm gonna give you a second to get there. And I'm sorry, I don't have a page number of the Bibles if you wanna grab one of those that's available. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm gonna read from the NIV translation. Communion, as I've already mentioned before, is, a, is something that God commanded us to do, to pause and to reflect on Jesus' body that had been broken for our sins and the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And in fact, it says this, that we as we go into communion should do it in remembrance of what God has done. But I'm gonna read a couple of verses after we do this for communion because I want you to see what God actually says. And we're gonna go down to verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I wanna read and I want you to see this and then we're gonna go back and do the communion piece. But it says this, this is Paul writing and he says, for whenever you eat of the bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is why we get a chance to do this. And then verse 27, so then, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone, in verse 28, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And before we do communion, we're gonna get a chance to examine ourselves. And what does it mean to take communion in an unworthy manner? And by the way, if you're not a believer today, I wanna ask you to just hold off on participating until you make that decision to follow Jesus. But if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, because this is so true, to do it in a worthy manner, what does that mean? Well, it might mean this. It might mean that sometimes you just go through the motions and you don't acknowledge the high price that Jesus paid on the cross. And so we disregard maybe what communion is as just something, just go through the motions. But also doing it might mean that we have some sin that's not been confessed. So we're gonna take a moment and Jeff's gonna lay down some keys. And what we're gonna do to get our hearts ready before the Lord is we wanna take communion in a manner worthy of the King who gave his life for us. What a good God he is. And if you have sin that's been unconfessed, right there, you can bring it before the king. Take your sin and exchange it for forgiveness. 
take your uncertainty and exchange it for his goodness and do it in a manner that's, don't, don't just do it quickly. But we're gonna pause for a moment and not be in a hurry and allow our thoughts and minds to go to Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.